DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is time to welcome in David Locke, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz. His weekly appearance brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning. You know, it's always interesting we do this. Because I have a nice morning routine going, so I, I get up and do a little reading, and then I do yoga and meditation, and then I talk to PK. Every Friday. It's, so an after you, transi- it's an interesting transition. After you're all relaxed and centered, then you get you get the ex-New Jersey guy who's all combative. It gets you all stirred up again. Yeah. You know, I've just done my, did my calm app this morning, did my yoga. I'm like feeling very... You know, Zen right now, and now I and now PK try. Maybe it's actually the only way that you don't fall into the PK trap. <laughs> I'm just gonna be quiet. <laughs> no, don't do that. It would be such a bummer. How are you, PK? <laughs> Under the circumstances, I'm great. I'm grateful. I'm great and grateful. That's for sure. How's the golf game? Uh, you know, I've come to grips with I'm not as good as I used to be a couple years ago, and it's bothering me a little though. bit. Uh, yeah, but I was I was getting a lot better, and and now I I see a decline. And where's where's the decline going to be? You know, where's it going to end? Where am I going to settle? Do you work at it? Like, are you willing to like go to the range and chip for an hour and putt for an hour and hit balls and work on fifty, seventy five hundred, like one twenty five? No. So, like, I'm having the most enjoyable golf stretch over the last two or three years because I've watched my daughter and I've seen how hard she works and I know I have no interest at all in putting in that kind of time to be that kind of player. Yeah, so Lucevino. So, so, like, I mean, I'm totally content. Yeah, uh, I know. I get it. And that's, that's, that's a metaphor for life, really. How much work you put into it, it determines how much success you have. Lee Trevino tells a story where he was going to some type of uh, pro-am event early in the week, and he drives up, and someone, he's actually uh, someone else is driving. And he looks over, and he sees this figure in the sand just pounding away. And he does his thing. He's there for about five, six hours. He comes back, and so he's leaving, and he looks over. He sees the same person out there doing the same type of thing. He finds out later. He stops. He says, who is that? He finds out it's Jordan Spieth. And Jordan Spieth has been there all day working on his game while Lee was doing, you know, Lee's a golf celebrity, obviously, and is very charismatic. And so he's doing that thing at this stage of his life because he had a phenomenal career. And it's really something that you put into, the work you put into it is going to determine most likely the success you're going to have. And it's really something you can apply across the board. Yeah, it's, no, it's a good point. Like, I mean, today I think my daughter will go to the range and she'll probably hit for two hours hitting 10 balls to 50, 10 balls to 75, 10 balls to 100, 10 balls to 125. And then do it again. And yeah, yeah. do it again. It's tedious. And do it again. And I would not make it through the first rotation. But you would sit down at your computer and add up a bazillion numbers about the NBA. Right. And so it got yeah, you to where you right. are. So, you know, you can't do everything, David. You just got to pick something. All right. Well, I've picked that my 10.8 handicapper plus is just totally fine. <laughs> How's that? Nothing wrong with that. You can shoot. You can shoot in the low to mid 80s. That'll work. Yeah. Uh, we know many things about you, David. One thing we know is you hate the freaking Lakers. And we were going to play yeah. the drop, but we're in a different studio because they're rebuilding some stuff here. Uh, so 
We can't play it, but I thought of you because I know that you hate the freaking Lakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Avery Bradley decides he's not going to play. And obviously, Lakers, Clippers, Bucks are the three favorites in some order, depending on who you are. But that's who most people have as the best teams in the league. How much does this hurt the Lakers? So I probably would have had the order Lakers, Clippers, Bucks, as you just said it. And with Avery Bradley out, I would probably have it Clippers, Bucks, Lakers. If I was in Vegas betting, I would do otherwise because the Bucks route is easier, right? And so they're more likely to be there. But um, so I intercept saying. But just in regards to who I thought the best teams were, I think this shifts it from the Lakers to the Clippers. I think the Clippers are now a better, deeper roster. I think Avery Bradley's tenacity defensively is significant. His length is significant. I mean, I remember the Jazz playing the Lakers earlier in the year. Um, and just coming back after the game and talking about how long they were. That was like, oh, my gosh, they just take the entire court, you know, and between Anthony Davis and JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard and LeBron and Danny Green and Avery Bradley. Like, the, the, they were – and Avery Bradley's long, like 6'7", wingspan, kind of like Donovan. Um, but, like, so the Jazz were, you know, 6'1", 6'1", 6'4", with Roy, 6'7", with Joe, six eight with Boyan and Rudy and here were the Lakers at seven one, seven one, six nine LeBron who's massive. Danny Green is what, six five, six six and, and Avery Bradley and they were like just whoa like and then when they went to their small lineup in that game they brought in Alice Caruso and slid Anthony Davis to the five and they still were massively long, even though they were playing quote small. Um so I think the loss of that Avery Bradley in that regard is significant. Now you know the other thing that he was doing really well is he just didn't use any possessions at all. Like, right. So he just played 26 minutes a night and played defense and battled and just rarely used a sh- possession because there's so many other guys in that possession. So he was even, I think his value was even more significant in the sense that he understood how to fit into that group in that role. I, I, the Avery Bradley not going to Orlando is the surprise to me so far. I was listening to Ryan Hatch's station the other day down in Phoenix, and they were talking How about. Oh, he? uh, he's king of the world, man! Doing great, yeah. as far as I know. Well, talk to him occasionally. Um, they were talking about how for baseball, the TV folks have to do it remotely, but the radio folks are going to be allowed to travel and go on the road. What's your situation? Um, I don't know that we've said anything officially, but it's pretty well known across the league that radio and TV will stay home and not go to Orlando um, on the local broadcasts. Uh, I think in one of the releases that there's a single individual of each organization that's a content creator that will be going into the bubble. So the Jazz will send someone. Um, I understand. You know, I don't. I don't know what I'm allowed to say or not to say on on what's official on that. So there will be content coming to utahjazz.com. Um, uh, from from someone in, inside Orlando, uh, but it will not be radio or TV. So how are you going to call it? They're going to have separate monitors for you guys for TV versus radio? Um, we're working on all of those details right now, but I mean, I think um, socially distanced appropriately, Ron and I will be uh, somewhere um, that, you know, we've believe to you know first is first safety and then being able to put the broadcast out watching it off a monitor 
David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, joining us. Um, we've seen the photos of Nikola Jokic. The Joker has dropped 40 pounds, remade himself to the point I didn't. I had to do a double take. I wasn't sure it was him the first time I saw it. And sure enough, he looks totally different. Do you think, given up that, that he, he's lost any strength that's going to make him a different player? Or is this just going to make a guy who is already averaging 20 points, 10 boards, and 7 assists, is this just going to make him uh, leaker, uh, le- I can't even say, sleeker, leaner, and just, you know, better able to play in the fourth quarter instead of getting tired carrying extra weight around? Or is there a downside? Is he going to get How long have we been off? Well, over three months. How do you lose 40 pounds? Well, I read it was 40 pounds. It may not be, but that was in the story I read about it. it was, he right? lost so like, 40. That's, a, like, that's absurd. That's why I asked you. Because, that it's a lot. <laughs> well, I think we all knew he wasn't in great shape. I mean, I remember the last time the Jazz played the Nuggets, talking with people about how they, they just got to run this guy. I mean, he doesn't look like he's in great shape. Run him, and, and maybe you can wear him down a little bit. You know, I, I do, you know, part of his game, I think, was the girth. Um, but, you know, he's a pick-and-roll liability. Um, if this allows him to play the pick-and-roll defensively better, and, they, and he does not like to drop on the pick-and-roll, he likes to show and come out on the pick-and-roll, and so if he's more agile and able to do that, um, I, I think that could have a tremendous impact, particularly on the defensive level. Like he couldn't be more of a wizard offensively. He's just so great. I can't imagine that he would get less, you know, in some ways he would be hurt in that regard. Um, so defensively, the way they play him is they, you know, we drop Rudy to the rim. They show and um, play the ball aggressively. Um, so that should help him. Their pick and roll defense, if you recall last year in the playoffs, was a disaster because Derek White like dropped 30 on them. Um, and Derek White's not a player who drop, should drop 30 on you. Uh, so I, I think when you, you know, he should get better than obviously long term, that's less wear and tear. And so you would assume he stays healthier, but he has not had a big injury problem. We have seen him quit on given nights, particularly against Rudy. He gets frustrated. Um, will he be, you know, is it less of a burden to play when you're not carrying as much weight? And so therefore you, you don't get as frustrated, would be this, what I would watch. Do you believe Donovan Mitchell has the ability to be first team or second team All NBA in the coming years? Who? What's he going to be? Would he be third team this year? Like he has a chance of that? Yeah, that's why I said first or second. I was thinking that. Um, So he would have to be one of the four best guards in the league. Yes. Obviously. I mean, I'm stating the obvious. I'm just sorry. I'm just trying to, like, calculate that. You know, Bradley Beal was on the All That Smoke, is that what it's called, podcast with Stephen Jackson and Matt Barnes. And it was really interesting talking about how he went from 24 to 30 points a game. And that's what he really like wrote the script for Donovan on how to do it. Um, if, if Donovan can follow that, model then the answer is yes but I, I think he'd have to be a 30 point a game scorer to be thought of in that level with the amount of elite level guards that are in the league right I mean so Harden and Harden's still in the league and Steph's and you know we're talking about Steph so now now we're down to two spots right um so you're gonna have to get into that 
rarefied air, and the way you get into that rarefied air is probably by dropping 30 by night, which so, is hard. So the, the path that Beal uh, lays out, is this getting Donovan's four and a half free throws a game up to seven, eight? Maybe, I mean, there's only a couple guys shooting 10, so I hesitate to go much higher than that. Or is it, you you talked about how good Donovan is on the catch and shoots. Is it the coaching staff realigning the offense so he has the ball in his hands less and therefore has a chance to get more catch and shoots? So you are really smart. Might even listen to some of the things I say in the past and make it sound like we're really coached. Like, that was good. Yeah, I mean, Bradley Beal went from 23 to 26 to 31 in three years. And he did it by going from four and a half free throws to five and a half free throws to eight free throws. And he did it by going from six threes to seven threes to eight three attempts. And then specifically the unique thing to Donovan is that Bradley Beal added the off the bounce three to his game. Donovan actually needs to add the catch and shoot three to his game more. It's where someone like Mike Conley is really valuable because it allows Donovan and Joe Ingles to play off the ball a little bit. But Donovan is is truly one of the great catch-and-shoot three-point shooters in the NBA. In his three years in the league, if you start running through his numbers on what he is on a catch-and-shoot three, there's very, very few players that are better. Um, the problem is that Donovan's off-the-bounce three game is not great. And I, and I would say that you know if Donovan's taking seven threes a game right now, we need to get him to eight or nine. The eighth and ninth need to be catch-and-shoot threes, where he makes 44% of them for about his career. I mean, I think that's, he's improved a little bit. His rookie year, if I remember, he was, last two years, he was 41%, and then this year he's 44%, if I, I'm doing that off the top of the head. Whereas the off the bounce three, he's improved a little bit. He was 29% his rookie year, and now I think he's 32% the last two years combined. Still not great. And so, you know, can he get to eight threes a game and maybe instead of, you know, being four and four, it's actually five catch and shoots and three pull-ups. Well, that would be a pretty massive change to his game. And then the next one is learning where to draw the foul. I think that's the, from some of the research I've done, when we think of foul drawing, we think of it at the rim. It's actually earlier. Like if you think of Harden, if you think of Beal, they're actually getting fouled in the paint non-restricted area or even right before they get to the paint on their drives to the basket. It's not at the point in which you're trying to finish at the rim. Verticality in the league has gotten so good. And so you, you're, you're drawing those fouls earlier. And I think that's a, I think you have to watch that on film and learn it. And Johnny Bryant is so great with Donovan, you know, and them have to work on that together to figure that out. But that's, that's kind of when I watched some film during this time period of trying to figure out like, well, how, like what's Bradley Beal doing to draw his fouls? Um, that's what jumped out to me. Cause if you actually look at Bradley Beal this year, his shots at the rim are down a tiny bit, which seems weird that you'd be increasing your free throw attempts so much. Um, but they are, they, he's gone from 28 to 24% um, of his shots are at the, at the rim. Um, Donovan's got some trends that he needs, you know, quite frankly, to answer your first question, Quite honestly, PK is Donovan's amazing. Um, if Donovan's going to try to reach the rarefied air that you just talked about, he has a trend or two that he has to flip. Um, his amount of shots at the rim are decreasing at a pretty dramatic amount. His mid-range shots are increasing at a pretty dramatic amount. And 
those need to flip back around. If I remember correctly, and there's a little dyslexia here and I don't have it in front of me, um, he either used to take 27% of his shots at the rim and he's down to 16%, or he used to take 26% of his shots at the rim and he's down to 17%. Nonetheless, it's a 10% drop. Um, And that 10% drop has, of the 10%, 8% of them are that little floater, and then you know, 1% of them is a mid-range this and that. So um, he's got to fix that. Um, his rim finishing is still elite and unbelievable. He's so creative around there. But he's instead of that floater, he's got to draw foul. So what does Quinn Snyder's line, the road from complacency to complicity is a slippery slope, mean to you? To me, it means, and I've said this about myself, so I'll very personalize this, um, my my answer on this has been that my I've always felt that I was very supportive of equality issues and minority rights and something I pride myself on. But if I was honest about it, in retrospect, I think I was passive and scared. And what he's saying is you need to be active and brave. So how does that play out in everyday behavior? Um, I think, I think in everyday behavior, it's a subtle reminder to someone when they say something that what they did, they may have intended it, they may not have, but it's not appropriate. Um, I think it's an awareness of the plight that different individuals are having. I think it goes back to a Stephen Covey. Uh, line from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, where make sure you view the world from other people's lenses, not just your own. Um, you know, the catchphrase right now is to listen, but I do think that's accurate. I had a personal experience with the Lockdown Podcast Network where we put out a Black Lives Matter roundtable. And in my, you know, both you, particularly you, DJ, have had to deal with it when I have a vision of something and I put it together. And in this circumstance, I actually opened my ears and. You know, I'll share this story. I shared it on another show, but I, we we had eight of our black hosts putting together a roundtable. Turned out terrifically. It's available on, on any locked on feed. And I, if you haven't heard it, I, I'd strongly suggest it. It was eye opening to me in that we had eight individuals who every you know from all across the country and in different ages, and every single one of them had had you know terrible experiences solely based on the color of their skin. Um, which leads you to believe it's universal. But the story I would tell on this, just on like listening, and this is was this was I think the classic example of kind of the the white director having a vision for something and not. And then I thank goodness I listened. I wanted to open the show with like a real bang. I wanted to have this like huge moment right out of the shoot that grabbed your attention. And so I presented to the host that like, hey, let's come out, say who you are, where you're from, and like give me a quick hitting experience you've had with racial discrimination. I thought it was going to be incredible, right? I'm Ross Jackson. I live in Louisiana. I live in LA. Boom. Hi, I'm Keith Pompey. When I was four years old, boom, right? Like, and I just was like, this is going to grab everyone's attention. And they emailed back and said, we'd far rather be recognized as the humans than we are than the victims of discrimination. Nice. And I was like, you're right. You're hundred percent right. My bad. I like it. Didn't even realize what I had done. Right. But I had totally just labeled all of them as their primary characteristic of how society, like, like that's no, you know what their primary characteristic is? That Chris Carter is, lives in Pittsburgh, went to law school, is a lawyer, also hosts Locked on Steelers, and has two kids. 
that Tony Wiggins has been a barber in Jacksonville for 20 years, former radio host, has three kids and a grandkid, and is the host of Locked on Chatworks. They're humans, not victims of discrimination. Humans who have had experiences share those. So to me, that was a really eye-opening experience that I had just totally implanted, like, this idea on them, and luckily I listened, and it was way better. It's totally you. Okay, radio producer, this is how we're going to structure it. And then ABC. I mean, I have sat at a desk and listened to you do that so many times. And I'm glad that these guys felt like I actually just sent back, like, Ross Jackson's the guy who emailed me back and said that. And then I just sent a reply all, like, okay, this is it right here. Like, you guys got to, like, talk. Like, tell me, this is perfect. Like, thank you. Like, 100%, this is why we're doing this roundtable, so you can tell me. And I had another topic that I wanted to talk about, which was, which I think this is, again, totally my personal experience. And I've just seen so many times in my life where I see someone who I don't think has the intention of being just blatantly racist with a comment to someone, and they are. Um, You know, um, I've had it. Frankly, by being married to a Japanese, I had someone the other day when we were celebrating Loving Day, which is the day in which Loving vs. Virginia in 1967 legalized interracial marriage in America. So there were 18 states in 1967 that made it so if you were a different race, you couldn't get married. In 1967. Okay? So I mentioned this to someone and that I was getting flowers for my wife, who's Japanese, and her, the person's comment to me was, oh, I don't really think of you guys as an interracial marriage. Horrendous. So what you're saying is that the Japanese aren't really minorities, but maybe the blacks and Hispanics are? It's an awful comment. Ah, never thought of it that way. It's a totally awful comment. And so I waited like a week and called that person back and said, you know, I'm sorry, this has just been gnawing in the, in the climate right now. I think i got to share it with you with the way I heard that. And then their comment was, well, I really meant it as a compliment. Okay, you know what? My wife's parents were jailed because of their race for three years of their lives. So don't deny them that at the same time. That goes back to the roundtable that we had where I, these guys said, Tony Wiggins, the guy from Jacksonville, said, don't tell me you're colorblind. I'm black. I live it. Don't ignore it. Listen to it. Let me share it. Hear it. But don't tell me you're colorblind because then you're ignoring me. Then you're not denying me my identity. He's so David Locke. When, oh, sorry. I thought. So I think, well, like, the person who made that comment to me, I've, I've known for a long time, they didn't. It wasn't intended to be this, like, racially laden comment. And I don't think you can, like, banish them from your life for it. But I think it was worth me calling a week later and saying, hey, I don't think you meant this, but it's bothered me for a week. You said this. Like, think about it. And I think it's something you probably should lose from your, your thought process in the future. He's David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, and you got to be careful with his pauses. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I'd been you good know. on the first three pauses, but the fourth one, I, I messed it you, up there. You know who I learned it from, right? Who? Rush Limbaugh. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. All right. David yeah. joins us every week. David, thanks for the a few minutes. As always, we appreciate it. All right. Talk to you soon.